Welcome to a brand new edition of Problematic Women. I'm Virginia Allen. And I'm Samantha Rank. Samantha, it is so good to have you back on. The last time that you were on this podcast was in the middle of the pandemic, right? Yes, it was really interesting actually doing uh, the interview for this show, sitting in my bedroom, really (laughs) unsure about what we were going through. We still had so many uh, questions and not a lot of answers at that time, but luckily we are all back in the studio, so it's great to be with you. Well, it's good to have you back on the other side of the pandemic, and now Sam and I share an office space together. It's great to have her on the team. (laughs) Uh, But also joining us is the one and only Gloria Taylor from the Heritage Foundation media team. Gloria, welcome back to the show. Always thrilled to step across the hall into the (laughs) podcast studio. (laughs) Well, Gloria, you came into our office the other day and you were like, have you all seen the Ron DeSantis Top Gun ad? And I yes. hadn't. And you showed it to me. And I'm forever in your debt. For, forever. Forever. For showing <laughs> me the Ron DeSantis Top Gun ad. If you all have not seen this ad, look it up. It's hilarious. Uh, and, I mean, who doesn't love Top Gun? Which, by the way, is now the sixth highest grossing film of all time. Way to go, Top Gun. <laughs> I'll just say Ron DeSantis always knows what he's doing. And it was clearly evident in this ad Obviously, everyone loves Top Gun. Mm-hmm. Then he goes and then it's like, I'm going to pretend to be Tom Cruise, teach Top Gun school. I just rewatched it a few minutes ago and realized the um, headline, Top Gun, it says Top Gov yeah. in the ad, like America's <laughs> Top Gov. Of course he is, obviously. Um, the feature of his son at the end is also so adorable. So that was precious. what got me. Yeah. That was, yeah. <laughs> I love seeing his son at the end and really pulled your heartstrings. Yeah, it was very creative. I think 10 points for creativity for he and his team. Another 10 points for making me again want to move to Florida. True. And watch Top Gun again. Again. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, I've seen it three times and would definitely see it a fourth. Well, Sam, we have a great show planned. Go ahead and let us know what we have queued up on today's show. Of course, up on today's Problematic Women, we discuss President Biden's plan to forgive up to $10,000 in student loan borrower's debt. Plus, students at the University of Texas at Austin might want to leave a blank space on their schedule this fall for a new Taylor Swift class. And three states are taking steps this week to further protect the unborn. And as always, we'll be crowning our Problematic Woman of the Week. Each week on Problematic Women, we sort through the news to find stories that are of particular interest to conservative-leaning or problematic women. Those whose views and opinions are often excluded by those on the so-called feminist left. If you are a problematic woman or just someone who supports strong, independent women, please consider supporting us by leaving a review or reading on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, and encouraging others to subscribe. It really does make a difference. All right, let's get to it. I am one of 45 million other Americans who have student loan debt. Wah, wah, wah. (laughs) So for those of you who are in that boat, you're not alone. There's many of us in the student loan borrower debt boat. It's not a fun boat, but, you know, a lot of us have them. In total, Americans owe about $1.7 trillion in student loan debt. 
But President Joe Biden, he made an important announcement regarding student loans on Wednesday. Let's roll the clip from the president's speech. Using the authority Congress granted the Department of Education, we will forgive $10,000 in outstanding federal student loans. In addition, students who come from low-income families, which allowed them to qualify to receive a Pell Grant, will have their debt reduced $20,000. So the rumors were true. Yep. President Biden announced on Wednesday that the government is forgiving up to $10,000 of every borrower's federal student loans. But this will only apply to borrowers who make less than $125,000 a year. Bloomberg reported that Biden will forgive up to $20,000 in student loans for Pell Grant recipients. So I would love to get y'all's thoughts on this. If anyone thought that we were not run in this country by a ruling class and coastal elites, this has proved you wrong right here. I mean, this entire boondoggle is robbing working Americans um, in order to pay college loans of the people who are probably going to out-earn them one day. It is just cruel, unfair, and honestly, to me, feels like buying votes. I think that at the end of the day, unfortunately, that's what this comes down to. Um you know, I, I want to talk about the policy and, and why yeah. it's bad and all of that. But like at the end of the day, it is coming down to the fact we have an election in a couple mm-hmm. months and forgiving student loan debt is something that's very popular with a very large voting block in the United States. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's Democrats that have been calling for even more um, student loan forgiveness and the calls for that will not stop with $10,000. I think as we even look forward to you know future elections, I think we're going to continue to see pushes for more and more and more student loan forgiveness. And what does that do to our economy? Well, it just sends us further into debt. We already as a country have over $28 trillion of debt. Um, and we know that during COVID-19, you know, we took out even more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we took on even more debt as a country. And now what are we seeing? We're seeing prices across our nation skyrocket, crazy high, record high inflation. So we know from experience what this does when we allow our debt to just grow and grow and grow and we keep adding to it with things like debt forgiveness. That affects our whole country and it affects people who never went to college, mm-hmm. who never took out any student loans. And it affects Americans who have worked hard to pay those student loans back. I would be so mad if I had paid off student loans already. Mm-hmm. I mean, fuming and furious. <laughs> but uh, you made a great point, too, of, you know, where does this stop? You know, it's not going to stop at $10,000. Mm-hmm. Anytime a government program starts, it's never going to die. It's only going to continue to be more and more. And, and so we were talking about this earlier before we were recording why not stop at $10,000? Why not stop it? You know, student loans. What else should we be forgiving? Yeah. You know, how many other types of debt are we going to forgive? You know, where does it end? Where does it end? As you mentioned, Virginia, and what we've been talking about, you know, why stop at $10,000? Uh, people are calling for, you know, $50,000 to be uh, forgiven. And there was a report that was put out earlier this year um, by two of our experts here at the Heritage Foundation, Lindsey Burke and EJ Antony, that that talks about a Federal Reserve analysis that, you know, $50,000, if that were to be forgiven uh, for each borrower, that would cost us 
$904 billion. Mm. And right now, as we are talking about with $10,000 per borrower being forgiven, that's an estimated cost of $321 billion, which it's hard to wrap my head around that much money. <laughs> yeah. But that is a lot of money that now we are are going to, you know, have to have to pay. Yeah, exactly. I think good analogy here. When you hear these big, you know, it's going to cost 500 billion, 700, what, you know, whatever else it is the left is going to spend now. What is helpful for me to think about is, you know what sounded really nice a couple years ago? Man, this stimulus check. This is so <laughs> great in my pocket, so wonderful. And then you have great instant gratification. A year later, inflation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is an even grander scale. Mm-hmm. What nightmare is going to come next for the yeah. economy? I'm pretty sure all that money that the government handed out, like I probably spent all of that in how high gas prices are. Already. Yes. 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 Well, <laughs> gas, <and some. laughs> gas prices by me are now below $4, which I was very happy about, but still, I'm like, wow. Yeah, you start celebrating yeah. it, and then all of a sudden you're like, you gotta like zoom back out, guys. This is so this sad. <laughs> like, this is so sad that I'm celebrating guests yes. being below $4. Officially an adult when I am celebrating guests being under $4. Yes. Well, uh, you know, we look at the big picture of this, and um, the, the larger scale problem in so many ways is the universities themselves, that they have raised tuition to the point where – an 18-year-old coming from a middle-class family cannot afford it unless maybe you're an only child. Like if if parents want to send, you know, two, three, four kids to college, that's just not doable for the average American family unless you take on tons of debt. So really, we need to look at the much bigger problem and we need tuition to be lowered mm-hmm. so that, you know, for a, a college student, they can work a part-time job and you know, maybe, um, you know, borrow money from a family member or something like that in order to be able to afford college. But the situation right now is completely out of control and schools are not being held accountable. Why would a university ever lower its tuition when they know the government is going to come exactly. to the rescue? Exactly. Why? Yeah. They're not going to. They're businesses. You know, they're <laughs> smart. They want to make more money. So if the government's handing out free money, they're going to take it. And also, what message does this send? Okay, I can go to a college that the government will help me pay for, but in the back of my mind, okay, maybe the next president or even, you know, if President Biden ahead of the presidential election says, I'm going to forgive even more student loan, you know, Mm -hmm. why put that in people's mind that there is this potential to keep forgiving student loan debt? And it's really not, you know, encouraging people to make smart financial decisions, especially, as you mentioned, at 18, when a lot of people, you know, are heading to college. That's it's a lot of money. Yeah. You're lining the pockets of their leftist ideologue friends to then indoctrinate everyone in college. <laughs> so true and so sad. Well, and you look at the numbers and when we've seen research from um, put out by the Heritage Foundation that says about half, more than half of student loan debt is held by households whose borrowers earn graduate degrees. So, I mean, these are individuals who have taken extra time out of their lives to earn a graduate degree. They're um, likely working in pretty elite institutions and uh, large businesses all across the country. And then we're going to take money from, you know, middle income, people who don't have college degrees in order to pay for that. And, um, I mean, it just, I think if you were to ask 
anyone. Like if you were to essentially to explain this argument to a child of like, well, uh, you know, you get you get a lollipop and you get a lollipop and you get a lollipop. But this person over here who doesn't have a lollipop, he has to pay for all your lollipops. Mm-hmm. And a kid would be like, wait, what? No, that doesn't make yeah. any sense. I want a, I want a lollipop. <laughs> so it, it's not complicated. Uh, and you know, I think it's something that as millennials, it's not necessarily super fun to talk about because mm-hmm. it's like, well, you know, debt's terrible. It's not yeah. fun to be in debt. No one wants to be in debt. But I think our our best option right now is to recognize, okay, yes, maybe when I was 18, I made some mistakes in taking out this much debt. I'm going to work hard to pay it off, and I'm going to hopefully you know, set future generations up for success so that uh, they don't make the same mistakes and get into the same pit and drive our economy further down the drain. That's all we can hope for. People <laughs> make better choices. <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned because speaking of colleges, for some students at the University of Texas at Austin, uh, they are going to say it might be worth going into a little bit of debt this fall uh, because they have the opportunity to take a class about Taylor Swift. So we're going to get to that in a moment. But first, if you are enjoying this podcast of Problematic Women and want to find other like-minded podcasts Look no further than She Thinks. She Thinks is a podcast production of the Independent Women's Forum. Every Friday at 9 a.m. Eastern, host Beverly Hallberg is joined by policymakers and thought leaders to cut through the spin and bring you the facts on the issues that matter most, from the economy and education to foreign policy and everything in between, she thinks has you covered. And if you cannot wait for that next episode to drop, you can listen to past episodes at iwf.org or search for She Thinks on your podcast app. Taylor Swift has a blank space for you and wants you to write your name down for her new college class. Few musicians have made a bigger mark on this generation than Taylor Swift. And that is highlighted by the fact that the University of Texas at Austin is now offering a course on Swift. Unfortunately, Swift is not teaching the course, but the class is all about her writing style. It's called Literary Contests and Context, the Taylor Swift Songbook. And according to the course announcement, the class provides an introduction to literary studies and research methods that uses the songwriting of at Taylor Swift as the basis for teaching a wide range of skills. Students will examine some of history's greatest writers like Shakespeare, Keats, and Frost and compare their work to that of Taylor Swift. So, Gloria and Virginia, I know you are both Taylor Swift fans. Would you take this class? Before the haters are going to hate, because I know you will, it's just a freshman seminar. And honestly, hearing the description that they're going to compare Taylor Swift to Shakespeare, what a great way to get you into, like, the actual weeds of literature and poetry and all of these things. So, sign me up 1,000%, Queen Taylor Swift has the greatest lyrics of all time. Virginia. <laughs> I, love, I love Gloria's take. So I would 100% take this class. I think it sounds like a really fun and interesting course. I, I am a Taylor Swift fan. And while, 
You know, well, of all of the college classes uh, one takes, my guess is that, you know, this might not be the most profound of classes. It It is fun, I think, to take these kind of college courses that are a little bit lighter and that you can use in conversation yeah. every day. Like, how often do we all wind up in conversations about Taylor Swift? And then to be able to pull out, like, oh, did you know that her writing style, you know, is similar to the poet Robert Frost in this sense. Like, it's just neat to be able to have that kind of information. And I think it's fun. Uh, and I think it's it's significant that, uh, you know, colleges are recognizing just how kind of unique Taylor Swift is in the way that she writes and how she puts so many Easter eggs in her songs. Um you know, I'm I'm not going to call her any sort of um, lyrical genius because I've, I'm not any sort of expert in songwriting, but I will call her very uh, brilliant for her songwriting. Gloria is giving me a look like, how can you not call her a genius? <laughs> I would absolutely call her a lyrical genius. I have luckily for you pulled some quotes right now oh, that I will read you, to put in perspective. <laughs> um your Midas touch on the Chevy door, November flush and your flannel cure. The storm was once a mount house. I made a joke. Well, it's made for me. Okay, come on. Your Midas touch on the Chevy door. This is straight poetry here, people. What are you talking about? Then you're still over me like a wine strain dress I can't wear anymore. I mean, guys, we could we could go on and on here. Tried to change the ending. Peter losing Wendy. Oh, yeah, that is a brilliant line. Like, I, I agree. <laughs> Sam, do you have thoughts? I was just going to say, I love the reaction that we are getting right now from our wonderful uh, sound guy, John Pop, who is just cracking up on the other side. (laughs) August slipped away like a bottle of wine because you were never really mine. I mean, we could just go on, y'all. Yes. Oh, Taylor Swift. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm just going to, this is off off the record real quick. I want to just listen to this. Okay, I knew it. Okay. (laughs) So I just had to reference a little bit. But when I turned 22, I was an intern here at the Heritage Foundation. And uh, I just found a video of my coworkers and fellow interns singing 22 (laughs) when I uh, turned 22. So Taylor Swift. We're bringing it full circle. We love it here. (laughs) That's beautiful. Well, I mean, what do you think that this course kind of reveals about Taylor Swift's impact on the music industry as a whole she can do everything that she <laughs> wants to do and she's wonder woman <laughs> no but she like she is she is wonder woman um i mean i don't agree with half the things that come out of her mouth but yes you know that's okay we can have disagreements and still appreciate people's artistry and things that they're capable of and celebrate mm-hmm. awesome music and fun things. Well, and so Lauren is not here. She's off this week, but I feel like I, I need to slightly <laughs> represent Lauren uh, because right now if Lauren was here, um, she she would be not super excited about this class, and I guarantee you she would say she would not sign up for it. So one thing I thought about is um, Taylor Swift has complained a little bit about how um, – she sometimes appears to feel a little bit like a victim as a woman mm-hmm. and like the world is so dominated by men. And I just kind of want to say, hey, Taylor, are you finally picking up on the fact that no, like you have broken 
barriers. Like you are having insane success as a young woman, not just as a woman, as a young woman. Most people don't have classes about them until they're dead. And so, I mean, the fact that this college is already saying, hey, we recognize the skill and the ability of this young songwriter and we want to be teaching that to our students. We want to be looking at that really critically. I think that shows incredible um, just truth about the fact mm-hmm. that women are so respected and admired in our society. But that kind of positive message does not make the um, <laughs> same type of dollars and clicks that her song, The Man, would make <laughs> complaining about, you know, how she... You're not wrong. You know. yep. No, I mean, yeah. she's she's a multimillionaire for a reason. <laughs> she knows how to market herself. <laughs> I know she's not teaching the class, but I do wonder if she is going to make some type of guest appearance in class one day. That would be epic. That would be epic. Well, so wow. she does all kinds of stuff like that with her yeah. fans, you know, like the secret recordings, the surprise stuff. You know, that's oh, her deal. Man. So I would not be like shocked. I mean, I think one day, you know, maybe years and years from now, when she maybe she's always going to be super, you know, popular, whatever, oh, yeah. but that she would teach a course somewhere, you know, like that at NYU. Heck, uh, Matthew McConaughey, isn't he at UT right now, too? Oh, good for uh, him. They've got, like, a lot of stuff I've been down in Texas. Poppin'. All right, Texas. Good for Texas. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, speaking of Texas, we're going to switch into our final topic for the day and talk a little bit about where some pro-life laws stand right now and what exactly is happening in the pro-life movement. So, you know, all over the country, we see that more and more states are taking steps to really protect life. More than a dozen states all over America have put laws in place to prohibit most abortions and protect babies in the womb. And three of those states that are protecting life are Idaho, Tennessee, and Texas. And this week, those states uh, have laws that go into effect that further protect life. Idaho is set to have a ban on abortion go into effect today on Thursday. Uh, But this law has been challenged in federal court. Uh, We're still waiting on the ruling from the judge. So as of the time that we're recording, we're still waiting on that. But it it is possible that the judge is going to kind of put a pause on this law from taking effect. But we'll keep you all posted on that. And in Tennessee, beginning today, abortion will not be permitted except when necessary to save the life of the mother. From the moment of conception, a baby in Tennessee is now protected. And in Texas, abortion has been illegal after six weeks of pregnancy uh, for almost a year now. But this week, Texas is taking the next step to protect all life. And now abortion is illegal in Texas except to save the life of the mother. So, you know, when we're talking about bans on abortion that begin from the moment a child is conceived, I really think we have to talk about when life actually begins. So if if you all were having a conversation with a friend about abortion and they asked you, when do you think life begins? What would you all say? What would kind of be your explanation to them? At least for me, I know this is obviously like a super emotionally loaded and charged topic when you're getting into things with, you know, friends or family or, you know, it comes off an Instagram comment. Um, so it's really hard to zoom out of that. And I mm-hmm. think if you have people start going into these arbitrary like, well, you know, I think life begins when the baby can, you know, sustain itself on its own, when, you know, the heartbeat comes, when whatever it is, you're just 
picking these arbitrary lines that, you know, we've decided based off, you know, well, science said at this point, you know, a baby can survive on its own. Science says the heartbeat begins here. Well, I would, you know, zoom back even farther and be like, what does science tell us about a person Mm. when there's unique DNA and that moment happens at conception? Mm -hmm. And if you can just get that conversation so focused on when does life begin, I think that is going to be your most like winning um, argument that you can make. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And and fortunately, most of my friends, I would say, are pro-life and, you know, have the the mindset and the the knowledge that, you know, they would they would agree that life begins at conception. And uh, Virginia, I know right before we were uh, recording this, I was actually looking up uh, for pregnancy tests when you take one and you, you know, see either that it's a plus sign or there's two lines and, you know, there's a baby like, you know, when it comes back positive that 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 means that you are pregnant, that that you will be, you know, having a baby in, in nine months, roughly. And I think that is also another way that people can really, you know, that's that's proof that you are carrying mm-hmm. a human life at that point. Yeah. It's like what else is in you mm-hmm. if it's not a baby? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like it doesn't it doesn't magically yeah. all of a sudden poof. Now it's a baby. Yeah. There's not that magic moment that life does begin at conception because Gloria, like you say, at that moment of conception, a baby has its own unique DNA that's given, you know, specifically from its mom, from its dad, um, and then all along that journey, you know, there's just incredible kind of almost like mile marker after mile marker mm-hmm. where, you know, right from the beginning, the child has the DNA, and then in the during about halfway through the fifth week of pregnancy, it's usually when the heart starts beating, and um, you know, babies are making these incredible kind of leaps and bounds in their development, of course, all throughout pregnancy. And I've, I've mentioned this on the show before, but I can't speak highly enough about it since it's influenced uh, kind of my pro-life journey so much is the arguments put forth by pro-life apologist Scott Klusendorf. He says that the only things that separate uh, a baby in the womb from a child outside the womb is their size, their level of development, their environment, and their degree of dependency. And when you kind of work through all those things, you realize like, oh my goodness, yes, you know, doesn't matter whether a baby is five weeks old. Um, you know, when you think about the things that make us human, our, our size doesn't make us more or less human, our level of dependency on another person or on a heart monitor, things like that, that doesn't make us human. The environment that we're in, that doesn't make us human or not. And our uh, degree of um, dependency, you know, that that doesn't make us human one way or another. Um, so, you know, these are things that are so important to think mm-hmm. about and talk about so that we can have conversations with those we love and really articulate it clearly because um, these conversations are not going away as we continue to see states promote pro-life laws. Yeah, they're hard conversations. They're difficult conversations. And I think especially because when you bring up these great points about what makes you human, who are we to play God and decide along these arbitrary factors of, mm-hmm. okay, this is when you know we as a government or a society think that you know something is human. That's It all just boils down to me a this is a God of self mm-hmm. issue. Mm-hmm. I'm just smiling right now because <laughs> I recently in the last couple of months became an aunt. And Aww. as the youngest Yay. child, I never really 
had, you know, a a baby around, like I was the baby. So um, I'm just thinking about like when we first found out that um, my soon-to-be sister-in-law was pregnant and just kind of, you know, watching the baby grow and hearing the heartbeat and, and the scan. And obviously when we went out to visit, uh, when I held the baby for the first time, I was crying. Aww. And it was just, you know, it's it really just puts into perspective when we're having this conversation, you know, mm-hmm. that life um, that, that she was carrying for nine months and being able to finally hold my little nephew in my arms uh, was just so rewarding. And it just... It, it, that gave me a, a new perspective on just how valuable and just how incredible life is. Yeah. So I love that's that. So sweet. That's beautiful. <laughs> All right. Well, stay tuned because up next we're going to crown our problematic woman of the week. Do you have an interest in public policy? Do you want to hear lectures from some of the biggest names in American politics? The Heritage Foundation hosts webinars called Heritage Events Live. These events are free and open to the public. To find the latest Heritage events and to register, visit heritage.org events. Now it is that time. Once again, it is time to crown our problematic woman of the week. And the crown goes to... College freshman. So if you just arrived at college, congratulations. You did it. You made it. You got into the school. You've worked hard. But I know being a college freshman certainly can come with its fair share of challenges. You might be feeling homesick. Don't worry. You're not alone. Everyone goes through that their freshman year. It can be a wild time of a lot of adjustments, but also a really fun time. You're out of the house. You're building friendships, relationships, you're learning. What for you all is maybe one piece of advice that uh, you wish you could give your college freshman self? Your worth, your identity, Mm. what you bring to the table, um, how awesome and amazing you are is not in your GPA. (laughs) I look back and I'm like, wow, I spent way too much time studying Mm. and less time being with friends, doing all of the extracurriculars. Um, then I spent more time studying than doing all of those things that I should have done. So do all the stuff, study, be diligent, you know, be wise, but study less. Yes. It's going to be fine. Yeah. Wisdom. (laughs) My advice is something I learned my senior year the hard way was how quickly things can be taken from you, uh, you know, in the blink of an eye. I was a senior when everything was shut down for COVID. Uh, we went for spring break. We, my, my roommate and I at the time went away for spring break and we were having, you know, a great time. We were relaxing and we kept getting these like news notifications about this COVID-19 thing. And at that point we were like, oh man, like, what is this? But, you know, we're just on our spring break and we, you know, we have to go back to, to class next week. And then it was three weeks and then it was the semester's over and then life was just shut down. So mm. uh, if if I can give any advice, just take in every moment, uh, go to the football games, make sure you wear sunscreen because I did not my first my first game and I got super burned. So make sure you just enjoy it. Uh, take it. Take a step back every now and again to just reflect on where you are and have a good time, but 
Not too good. Not too good of a time. Too good not of too a time. Good as of your mom should probably say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Nothing good happens after 10 p.m. Yes. <laughs> not actually, but. Uh, yeah, Sam, it's wild to think about how you were in the midst of, of college when COVID struck. Yeah. I'm so sorry. At least I was at the end. At least yeah. it was like four or five weeks of like virtual Zoom. No one knew what was happening. And then I was out. So. Yeah. So wild. So <laughs> wild. Yeah. You know, I, I think looking back, I'm like one piece of advice that I would give young freshmen in Virginia uh, would sort of be just like, hey, you're going to make it because I think you take some of those um, weed out freshman classes and you're like, I am going to die. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe not if it was the Taylor Swift class. Yeah. yeah. So. Fine. <laughs> I think you'd be fine in that class. Uh, but for, for anyone listening who, you know, you're starting those classes where you have a really intimidating professor that is essentially trying to get you to give up on your hopes and dreams not maybe that dramatic but sometimes it feels I mean, that i know yeah like <laughs> don't worry you're gonna make it you're gonna power through and also you know your identity is gloria like you say you know it's not tied up in your grades it's not tied up in your ability to sound super intelligent in front of your peers um, your job in school is to learn to ask questions to investigate to uh, push back to let people push back on you it's such an awesome time of learning and growth so for all of our college freshmen congrats on being the problematic women of the week and with that we are going to leave it there for today's episode gloria sam thank you so much for joining us this has been fun always a good time yeah <laughs> thanks for having us well join us next thursday morning for a brand new edition and in the meantime subscribe and share Conservatives need your support in the podcast world, and we would greatly appreciate a five-star review on Spotify, CastBox, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does make a difference. Have a great week. We'll see you next Thursday. Problematic Women is brought to you by more than half a million members of the Heritage Foundation. It is a product of The Daily Signal, produced by Lauren Evans and Virginia Allen. And be sure to follow Problematic Women on Instagram. We produce Problematic Women in remembrance of our dear friend and former co-host, Bree Payton.